The Hot Four podcast is proudly brought to you by Charles Farham. Charles Farham have been sellers of hops since 1865 and hop growers for even longer. They stock nitrogen flushed leaf hops, T90s and T45 pellets. And to ensure their hops remain in optimum condition, they have state-of-the-art cold stores at their sites in Worcestershire and Yakima in the USA. At charlesfarham.com, brewers can shop by pay-as-you-go or using agreed credit terms for yeast, malt, fruit purees and other brewing products. In addition to leading hop varieties from across the world, the Farham's family range brings you Archer, Emperor, Godiva, Harlequin, Jester, Most, Mystic, Olicana and Opus from their hop development programme right here in the UK. If you'd like more information or expert advice, visit the Brewers Resource and FAQ pages on the website or contact their technical advisors for different uses, applications and recipes. They're always really happy to help. Visit charlesfarham.com today. That's charlesfarham.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. With interviews, discussions, stories and advice from a range of brewers and craft beer professionals, the Hot Forward Podcast is here to help you and your beer business hot rocket your way to success. Visit our website at hotforward.beer to find out more. Grab yourself a beer as we crack open another fresh episode of the Hot Forward Podcast. Hello brewers, beer professionals, beer buddies and friends and welcome to another sesh, not just another sesh but quite possibly the last sesh of the Hot Four podcast, at least for now. You might be wondering why this episode is a little bit late. Well, just over a week ago, this happened. Our next category is Best Audio Beer Communication, sponsored by SRE UK. This award seeks to recognise and reward the individual making the best use of audio media to communicate about beer and pubs. The nominees are John Hall, Brendan Kearney, Nick Law, Tom Meyer, M. Sorter and Don C., and Owen Walsh. As always, this was a strong category with a wonderful mix of long and short form content, telling stories, educating people, and combining beer with other passions, even gaming. The silver goes to a long-term trade podcaster whose invaluable industry interviews are warm, engaging, insightful, and practical. Silver goes to Nick Law. Yes, that's right. The Guild of British Beer Writers Award down at Big Penny Social in Walthamstow. I got a silver in the Guild of British Beer Writers Award. So that's two awards this year. Now, it's not about winning... It's not about awards, and it's lovely to get recognition. But as I always say, and I'm pretty sure you'll hear this in the podcast today, like if you're not enough without a gold medal, you'll never be enough with one. But to win something at this year's Guild of British Beer Writers Awards was especially poignant for me because I've decided, for the time being at least, to put the Hot Four podcast on hiatus or give it a hot breast. I like, we'll call it that instead. And this isn't a decision that I've taken lightly. It's something I've been chewing over for the past, I don't know, six months. So it's, it's been a long time coming, but it's felt something somewhere I had to give. And I didn't want that something to be me. 
I love doing this podcast and I love getting to speak to you, the listener, every week or every other week or however regular or unregular this show gets published. But it kind of feels for me that it's got a little bit stale. It needs to lie fallow for a while to get some fresh life into it. I'm sure the Hot Four podcast or some incantation of it will re-emerge at some point and come back. But it'll probably look quite different to what you're used to. But the other reason for giving it a hot rest is a little bit more complicated and I wanted to share it with you. When I used to work for the Sheffield Brewery Company, and I know I've talked a bit about this in previous episodes, and you can probably piece all the and you can probably piece it all together if you go through all the different episodes. But when I was there, I was running my own brewery called Emmanuel's as well. So the deal was I would come work for them as the brewer and the brewery manager and just about everything else, under the condition that they let me brew my beers. So it was a, a, a win-win all around, I felt. Whether they felt that, I don't in the long run, I don't know. But it worked for a season. Towards the end of that season, I knew I had to branch out by myself. Now, partly I was just quite burnt out from working in a brewery. It's hard work, as I'm sure many of you listed this will know, particularly on the smaller end of the scale. It's all hands on deck all of the time, eight days a week. It's not easy. So I needed a bit of a break from brewing and I had this idea for doing a podcast or something basically to come and help other breweries in the way that I felt I'd been able to help the brewery I worked in with their branding and their marketing and the business stuff and developing recipes and developing the brewery. But I didn't know what this thing was going to be called and at the same time, I'm trying to push Emmanuel's and do my beers. And I remember giving a beer called Rye Joyce, which was a red rye IPA, Nelson Sovin and Simcoe hops, like the ultimate combo of molten hops in one beer. I gave this beer to a bar manager who's now a good friend of mine called Jay to, you know, see if we can get into his craft beer bar. And he didn't get back to me for what felt like forever. And then I saw him one day walking down the road. So I lifted the sash wind up at the brewery and I was like, Oi, Jay, what did you think of that beer? And he just went, well, it's all right. Wasn't really hot forward enough. And I thought, not, not hot forward enough. Like, Nelson Sovin, Simcoe, come on, Jay. But then, you know, after, after a bit of grumbling, it's like, not hot forward enough. And, you know, I love Jay. He's very honest about his beers. And, and just as an aside, when I brew anything now, I have a, would it pass the Jay test? And I know that if it would pass the J test, it's good to go. If I'm in any doubt, then I need to seriously consider whether I'm going to put that beer out. That's another story aside. But I came away from that thinking like, hot forward, it's a good name. That's where all that stemmed from. But in part as well, I was doing the Hot Forward podcast in order to gain some more experience for myself Rather selfishly, it might add. And I thought, you know, if I, if I start a podcast, not only can I help other people, but I can learn a shed load of stuff myself from some of the key people in the brewing and hospitality industry. You know, I'll have access to, at the time, people like Northern Monk and Magic Rock and many others. Loads of people who I've had the privilege of talking to and learning from. 
And I thought maybe one day I can put that into practice in my own brewery, all this stuff that I've learned. Now that was five years ago. And I have a bit of a, a long running joke with Cumbie from Round Corner Brewing, who always asks, how's the brewing going? And I'm always like, oh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm aiming to brew more next year, Cumbie. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And he's like, <laughs> last time I spoke to him, I was like, oh, you always say that. You know, and I was sat in my car and after I hung up, I was like, you know what? I do always say that. For the past five years, I've been saying that. I'm going to brew more, I'm going to brew more, I'm going to brew more. In some ways, that was a bit of a turning point for me to think actually something's got to give, something's got to stop. And that thing for the time being has got to be the Hot Four podcast. Because I came into this industry to make beer and a few nights ago I put on an event called Hopes and Beers, which is an Emmanuel's thing. It's like beer and carols at a local pub and it's a pub that I do some work with as well. And it was just an absolutely fantastic night seeing people drinking my beer. And I'm sure all you out there listen to this that are brewers know that feeling, you know, and it's that's the that's the thing that gets you out of bed in the morning, like, you know, to mash in. <laughs> when, when everything else is going wrong, the satisfaction of seeing someone else drink your beer and tell you how much they're enjoying it is a wonderful thing. So it just feels like time to actually put it into practice and to put my money where my mouth is and to go out and make some beer and and actually do it more regularly and commit to it. Yeah, and I'm doing it alongside my own business. So it's not like I'm going out and buying a big brewery and particularly the climate at the moment. But ultimately, that's where I want to head up. And if I don't do something now, if I don't start at the one and take some action and just brew something consistently, as in like regularly rather than like making beer, consistent beer, which I think, I like to think I can make consistent beer, then I'm just going to kick the can down the road. And in another five years' time, Cumbie will say, how's the brewing going? And I'll be like, well, I'm going to brew more next year. And Yeah. So that's that's where we're up to. It's kind of sad in some ways that the Hot Four podcast has to have a bit of a rest in order to allow that. But I think that for the benefit of the podcast, as well as my own brewing, my own projects, then I think it needs to, because actually I think having a bit of a rest from doing Hot Forward for a while will hopefully give it a fresh lease of life. So we'll see what comes of it. Maybe something will, maybe nothing will. But in the meantime, I'm going to go share the good news one beer at a time with Emmanuel's. And that's the journey I want to invite you on as well. So I am writing a book called What Would Jesus Brew? Why I Left the Mega Church to Start a Microbrewery, which is going to document the whole journey that I've been on and, and how crap beer saved me in some ways. It's a bit sacrilegious, isn't it? Yeah. Tongue-in-cheek. Emmanuel's is all tongue-in-cheek. Anyway, I've, I've rabbited on quite enough because I'm sure what you want to really listen to is to end the Hot Forward podcast on a high note. Now, one year I was at Seba BRX and this fella came up to me and stuck out his hand and introduced himself and he said, hey, I'm Cam from Turning Point and I just wanted to say that I listened to your podcast, I've been listening to it from the start and I really love the show. 
And that blew my mind because I, I knew Turning Point Bruca. I drank their beers, you know, and so to, to meet Cam and be like, oh, my word, I drink your beers and, like, you're saying that to me, you know, it felt felt great. And I always thought, you know, I want to at some point get Cam on the podcast. And so I travelled up to Knaresborough, which is sort of north of Leeds, near Harrogate, to go spend some time with him and chat about the brewery and their journey and about the industry. But actually... Cam had a more positive take on it. We've heard a lot of doom and gloom recently, and I, I really, really appreciated hearing his optimism when it came to the future of craft beer. So I just want to say a massive thank you, everyone, for tuning in and subscribing to the Hot 4 podcast over the past five years. I hope at some point you'll be listening to my dulcet tones once again, talking about brewing and the craft beer industry. So before we tune in to... Today's episode, the last episode for the time being of the Hot 4 podcast, is a short word from one of our wonderful sponsors who have made this show possible over the past five years. Cheers. The Hot 4 podcast is proudly brought to you by Charles Farham. Charles Farham have been sellers of hops since 1865 and hop growers for even longer. They stock nitrogen flushed leaf hops, T90s and T45 pellets. And to ensure their hops remain in optimum condition, they have state-of-the-art cold stores at their sites in Worcestershire and Yakima in the USA. At charlesfarram.com, brewers can shop by pay-as-you-go or using agreed credit terms for yeast, malt, fruit purees and other brewing products. In addition to leading hop varieties from across the world, the Farrams family range brings you Archer, Emperor, Godiva, Harlequin, Jester, Most, Mystic, Olicana and Opus from their hop development programme right here in the UK. If you'd like more information or expert advice, visit the Brewers Resource and FAQ pages on the website or contact their technical advisors for different uses, applications and recipes. They're always really happy to help. Visit charlesfarram.com today. That's charlesfarram.com. Today on the Hot 4 podcast, I'm at Turning Point Brew Co, joined by Cameron Brown, who is co-founder of the brewery. How's it going? Excellently. How are you today? Okay, thank you. I survived the torrential downpour between Sheffield and Barnsley, so <laughs> it was fine after that. You get further north and it gets better, in my opinion. So, cool. Well, it's great to be at your brewery, Cam. Tell us a little bit about who you are and a bit about Turning Point Bruco. It's lovely to have you here. We're a Turning Point Brewery. We started in 2017, uh, me and my business partner, Aaron, who you met earlier. Um, we both sort of got interested in beer in different ways. Me from a, a pub angle and Aaron from uh, from the brewery side of things. Right. Um, we were both working for other people and I think somehow decided to start this roller coaster that is Turning Point Brewery. So were you both in the beer industry before yeah, that? Yeah, okay. I was. I was running a pub in York, right. which we'll come back to. Um, and Aaron was working for Brass Castle Brewery. Right. Okay. Um, and by virtue of that, we we started a, a beautiful friendship. Um, I was buying beer from Aaron, seeing him most weeks. And uh, he told me that he was leaving Nick, and I was not—I was really unhappy about it because I enjoyed our Friday coffees. Right. And uh, subsequently, I was like, "Well, what? What for? What, and uh, and whatever the thing is, can we do it together?" <laughs> and uh, some six weeks later, we'd uh, we'd signed a lease for a place, and we'd bought a brew kit, 
and oh, nice. we were pretty much ready to go a couple of months after that. Now, the big question is, did Aaron have spiky hair? Did Aaron have spiky hair? Because the guys at Castle are like, like extreme spiky punk hair, if no. I remember rightly. Aaron, Aaron and I are both... Um, Follecularly challenged. Uh, a bit like me as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd high five you, but I'd move far away. <laughs> but I, what, 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 what we're lacking on the on on the top, we make up for at the bottom of the face. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's that's where we focus our attention on the hair growth, really, Nick. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, my wife won't let me have a beard. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd, I'd, lo I'd love to, like you like to have a big massive like Gandalf beard down here, but she's like, no, you, you could choose between me and the beard. So, the, <laughs> and you won. The, well, the beard narrowly missed out. <laughs> <laughs> it was close margin. <laughs> so thank goodness she never listens to this podcast. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, so so you you basically started the brewery. Yeah. Well. Um... The, we we both had been homebrewers beforehand. Yep. Uh, we were both interested in the in the creative side mm. of making beer. Um, it, for me, what got me into beer was uh, was working at a pub um, during university in York um, to sort of fund my increasing hobby of going out and drinking beer. It's a vicious mm. cycle. Sell the beer to buy the beer. Yep. Um, which ironically still doing to this day. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I I really found myself interested in the fact that there was a world out there that I'd not realised, which was lots of breweries exist and their beers are made by the people who own the business. And in, in most cases, it's as simple as that, isn't it? It's mm. like, I, oh, and, and if I'm drinking this beer that I'm selling, I, I could probably find them on the internet and ask them about it. And I loved that because to me growing up, beer was always one of those things is like, it's, it exists in mega factories somewhere, um, Something to do with Greg Wallace. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> Greg Wallace gets a mention there, um, as always on this podcast. You know what I mean? And then, and then when I had that realization that it was more of like a, a small scale, people are doing this themselves. I, I was really, really fascinated by it, and so I wanted a little part of that for myself. And so yeah, it started yeah. in the kitchen, and then uh, sort of culminated where we are now, I guess. And Aaron had that same same sort of journey, but um, sort of in the in the middle of of that work for another brewery, which I think was was definitely beneficial for us both because Aaron held the keys to all the experience right. in, the, in the in the beer industry <laughs> nice, between nice. us. So when you started, obviously you were doing like homebrew size, I presume. So what what was the next logical step up for you, and how how did you get from that next step to then kind of commercial size? So the the brewery never really existed on like a homebrew scale, right. I guess. It was um, by virtue, I think, just of of chance of the the equipment that we found and the premises that we found sort of dictated the the size of the kit that we started with. Right. And so we bought um, the now uh, no longer operational Badco Breweries. Uh, right. Their, their old kit. I see. And we found a place for it, which um, happened to be in Kirby Moorside, a place that I'd never heard of, um, but was sort of 20 miles out of York. Made sense geographically mm. for us to base ourselves there. And... Um, yeah, so size-wise, I think it was it was perhaps a little bigger than we wanted to start with. What sort of size? Uh, so it was a twelve-barrel kit. Right. Um, and we, we we could sort of get away with half brews for a little while, but then quickly we scaled up and we were brewing twice a week, full brews. Um, and at that point, it was myself and Aaron, and we had some help from uh, Marco at Bone Machine as well. Right. Um, for the first six months or so. And when's this? Twenty. 20... Yeah, so sort of start of twenty seventeen. Seventeen. 
which seems like an absolute lifetime ago. I think it yeah. might be three lifetimes ago. But yeah, that's so that's the scale that we started with. And um, again, we were, we were nervous about that. But I think, I think by virtue of the fact that um, Aaron and I knew quite a lot of people in, in York, in Leeds, in the beer industry and um, that sort of thing, we, we, we had quite a lot of interest in what we were doing locally just based on existing goodwill before mm. people had tried the beers, which made it a, a little easier to get out there. And then thankfully, you know, the beers were good enough that people bought them again. And so we, we quickly grew into that kit. Yeah. Um, but then perhaps a year down that adventure, we, uh, we realised that we'd need to either invest heavily in that site um, or move. And we went with the latter in the end, and that's, that's where we are today. Right. So dis- describe the brewery here and the building you're in. <laughs> so it's not really a building, is it? It's like a tunnel. Yeah, it's kind of like an aircraft hangar. But I like, like aircraft hangar. Yeah, kind of. Um, yeah, I think I think the term is Nissan Hut. Right. Um, and so this is what used to be Rooster's Brewery. Um, I think they're from some sometime in the nineties till about two thousand. Yeah, it's like ninety one or something, isn't it? Or maybe, maybe late, I don't know. It's yeah, quite I a long think time. So. Thir- I think no, it's thir- uh, no ninety three. It's thirty years. Ninety three. Yes, it follows my trajectory exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I, I think Rooster started elsewhere and then moved here. Right. After a little while, but um, but yes, so it's uh, like a semicircular tunnel is that right yeah do you know like when you go you maybe drive past a farm and you see the kind of corrugated sort of circular things that look either like a bomb shelter an anderson shelter mm. from world war Two, or like where maybe like a, where the pigs live <laughs> it's kind of like it's got that kind of it is where vibe the pigs to it, live. but it's like massive <laughs> <laughs> yeah that sort of thing is uh, is exactly where we are um and i quite like that because our whole Shtick, branding wise is sci-fi stuff and to me it looks a little bit spaceship like as yes. you approach from the outside it's um you know when i was driving down there i was like where is it surely gonna be one of these like ni- nice uh, modern warehouses and then oh no it's that it's that odd building there <laughs> it really threw me i was like no it can't be in there surely yeah no we absolutely love it it's uh, it's a good place to be yeah and um, we've been making all of our beer here for over three years now so mm. it's uh I think, I think we've got my got my years right, but um, yeah, we're we're really settled here. It's um, so scale wise compared to the last place is about two and a half times, you know, a week increase in production. Um, I think we're nine strong staff wise. Uh, we've got a tap room here as well, which we yep. weren't able to do before because there are no no human beings within a several mile radius of where we, <laughs> where the brewery was. Um, and it's great, yeah. We, we we moved here at the start of well, we started producing beer properly at the start of twenty twenty, on this site. Impeccable timing. Impeccable timing. I'm sure you know what comes next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Uh, yes, that's a it's a great time to scale up your business, wasn't it? Definitely. So you were saying before we hit record, you had quite a lot of beer in tank ready to go out for um, into pubs and for special events. Yeah. And then you hit lockdown. Like just 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 talk me through that moment. I'm sure everyone's got their own shit show story of what happened during COVID. Um, but just just it's always interesting hearing it from different business owners. Like, what what was that like for you guys? Um, it was unbelievably stressful. It was uh, yeah. So we'd 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 sort of bet the farm on scaling up being an immediate success. Mm. You know, we really we really put all of our eggs into that basket, and. Um, you know, not recklessly. We'd done the work, you know, we, as we knew we were scaling up, we'd 
gathered more interest with wholesalers or we'd sort of, you know, we had things ready to go. And we, as part of the, the move to our bigger site and what we hope will be our, you know, our, our premises going forward for a long period of time, we're like, let's, let's celebrate that by doing four collaborations with breweries that have inspired us. And so that was uh, Thornbridge, Roosters, Siren and Five Points. And so we had those beers all in the tank and we in the tanks and we lined up I think it was some twenty odd tap takeovers right. featuring those beers to uh you know, go live at sort of the same time on a Friday night, that sort of thing. Mm. Um but I think oh and also to coincide that with the opening of our tap room the same weekend. And obviously none of that happened because it was March of <laughs> of, of that year. Yep. <laughs> um so yeah, we were we were sort of found ourselves sat here with tanks full of beer, nowhere to really package it because there were, you know, we didn't have our own can in line. Um, yeah, no, I think I think the feeling there was uh, was definitely the only way to get through this is to is to really lean into what can we do to survive mm. rather than, you know, it, there was no way we could shut up shop and sort of put a pause on it at that yep. point. We were too financially down the path of, <laughs> we, we, we really need to sell this beer somehow. And yep. uh, in the end, we ended up packaging it into mini kegs. Um, we were able to do quite a lot of it in cans. And then we just committed ourselves to the next six months to delivering beer in, in our various hatchbacks um, <laughs> across, across Yorkshire, really. Yeah. So I guess as I've been thinking about my own personal journey with brewing and with hop forward and and um i feel a little bit at the moment a bit of a crossroads of thinking well what where where do i go next and touching upon something a discussion we were having before we hit record which are always like the best discussions and i always think oh we should like have a secret mic or something to record them but we we were saying how there's a lot of like negativity in the brewing and hospitality industry at the moment and it, it seems to be like this um this doom and gloom that is unrelenting and non-shifting. And I'd love to know, I was thinking about, like, if I could ask you one question, what would it be? And I'd love to know, like, how you've managed to to stay positive, I guess, through it, and to, to, to stay envisioned for what you're doing, particularly in the climate like that. And it can be such an echo chamber, craft beer, as well. Yeah. Um, I th yeah, I think I think I could probably talk about this specific question for indefinitely. You know, it's um, it, se it seems like the key theme of our brewery really is uh, is is based on that. And, and and going back to what we were talking about just a second ago, that positivity in the face of adversity. I think we did really well. Mm. Um, not just as in like put on a brave face for the people that work here or whatever, but but trying to never reflect. Or, or put out anything too negative for the people that drink our beer. Yep. There's enough of that elsewhere, and that's always been, mm. you know, in terms of our social media or yep. the way that we present ourselves, we, do, we don't really engage like that. We'll try and be a bit more positive. And yeah. So, for example, in lockdown, we made the most of it by um, doing silly events on Zoom until 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> but, you know, because in, in lieu of uh, there being a place for us to gather and do that or a tap room... Um, we wanted some way to interface with our customers and also have some fun. And, and, and to that end, it never really felt like like work. And it felt like by the end of that sort of process, we we had like a real, 
community of people locally and online mm. and it was yeah that's, that's awesome we were really really happy about that and I think yeah in terms of adversity we you know COVID's just one wave of that and I would say you know as a, as a new brewery in 2017 the first thing that we were met with was a, a little bit of well aren't there enough breweries already <laughs> you know mm. which is a question that can keep being asked but will never be answered yeah <laughs> Um, and then it was uh, Brexit, which affected our export. And then it was COVID. And then it's beer duty. And then it's cost of living. And to be honest, the reason that we're positive about it is because we've never known peace times. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's always been like that. And so there's, there's only one way for us to be, and that's to believe in the beer that we make, um, the, you know, the organisation that we've got here is a thing that we want to protect and we want to keep doing indefinitely. And so basically, yeah, to answer your question, the reason that we can do that is because it's all we've ever done. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting times, really. And I think you've got to, and maybe I'm preaching to the choir saying this, like you've got to keep your chin up. And I think beer historically has always been something that's been like to be enjoyed and a, and a respite and not not used as like a, a crutch or as an excuse or at least it shouldn't be you know to uh, to deal with whatever it is people deal with but you know i think particularly these days after the pandemic where everyone got so isolated and formed those habits very hard and very quick like it makes going to the pub or to a tap room all the more special to me. Like I went to hang out with Kelly and Bob from Good Chemistry recently uh, when they were at Ice Craft in Sheffield. They came up to do a collab with Abbeydale and it was, you know, like I'd not really got out to the pub that much, yeah. you know, and so seeing those guys and just hanging with them and Christy from Abbeydale, like it just, it, it just felt so good just to kind of like have the kind of like conversations you'd have about things like music and whether it's appropriate to have Christmas cake in October and all those sort of things. And, um, yeah, I, I think spaces like this are really, really important. Absolutely. Yeah, we, 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 found, we found that ourselves with the, with the tap room over lockdown, you know, because we've got quite a large outside area. We were able to, to open up fairly early on, mm. and it was busy enough because there aren't a lot of areas around here that were able to do that. And... Um, we, we, we'd have people that would, you know, stumble across the road from the, from the caravan park just opposite. We'd have people that would drive 300 or 400 miles, park their camper van outside the brewery, and then come both days of the weekend, and that nice. was their entire thing. And that was, that was unbelievable. Like, you know, like, the, the fact that people had travelled to come and see us and that sort of thing. It, was, it made, us feel, made us feel really good. And I'd say, I'd say our overwhelming takeaway from, from lockdown in terms of beer culture was positive yeah like overwhelmingly positive we, we made so many good local relationships with you know with people that are still supporting our brewery now and mm. yeah yeah so talk a little bit about the beers you make because again something we touched upon earlier was how when you first started you were saying how with through the pub you'd be able to sell you know a firkin of like some crazy barrel aged and pissed out and maybe a sour or whatever 
and like how that's changed particularly recently like how have you seen that change i think i think i noticed that change more um specifically on the bar side than than the brewery side to you know to a certain extent we're we're pretty much still making those sorts of beers um disco king is the beer we make the most of it's our 5.1 american pale we've been making that since day one and we pretty much make it every week right we've got lots of permanent lines for it and that to a certain extent has become our bread and butter of what we do um week on week and then that gives gives rise to the the other stuff you know the more the more creative more adventurous yep. beers which we still make in abundance um I'd, I'd say that was probably more difficult to do in lockdown because what we're going to do with 4,000 litres of double IPA, <laughs> if, can we put it all in mini kegs? And yeah. so, and, and so we, we had to get quite creative then mm. in terms of splitting batches into two different beers. And you know, that was that was quite quite a tricky thing to do. But these days, I think we, it's, it's more about just finding the balance on a production side. So we know we, know we always need... Um, a certain amount of Disco King, cask and keg, pale ales, lagers. Um, and then we, we try and make sure we've always got at least one Imperial Stout or Sour um, specialty beer or mm. whatever whatever the thing is that we're interested in at the minute. Yep. Um, and I think we do that really well. Um, yeah, we, we, do a, we do a subscription club for, uh, for our cans, uh, which is six unique beers each month. One of them will always be Disco King, and we try and make sure that the five other beers... Well, the, the idea is that you get every beer that we make. Right. Um, takes, the, takes the FOMO out of it. Takes the uh, having to pay attention to it out <laughs> of it, and you just, you just receive them. But we, we took, I sort of like gauge our output by what's in that box, really, if that makes sense. Mm. And I don't think we've... Even, even though I've noticed that there's an industry change to be maybe to be towards more um, what we'd call mainstream styles of beer... I think our output creatively is still quite varied, which I'm really happy that we've been able to do that. Yeah. What do you think makes a brewery successful? Hmm. <laughs> well, in, in terms of being able to survive or in terms of being able to make good beer? Or... I, I, I guess, I don't know. Like, I look at Turning Point and, like, I... It, it, when I think of certain breweries, like Turning Point comes to mind as, as a brewery that is doing well, is well respected, um, gets their beers across the country, um, possibly into Europe before Brexit. <laughs> I don't know what that's like now, but um, you know. And I, I would look at Turning Point as a, a, a good, successful brewery. You're at a lot of um, beer festivals, you know, well-respected beer festivals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And as you said earlier, there's a lot of breweries out there. And I, I guess the question comes from, like, what, what is the... I, I'm, I'm sorry for, like, the ethereal language. I, I don't know how to, to put it other than this. What, like, what's the X factor behind at certain breweries? Like, like Five Points or Thornbridge. What, what do you think is the thing that just... Even though the beer styles might be similar, the, the quality might be reasonably similar between brewery A and brewery B, but it's just in, like, uh, Malcolm Gladwell terms, one's more of an outlier mm. than the other. What, yep. what, do you, what do you think that is? It's a very, a very interesting question, and I'm not sure I've got the answer, to be honest, but, but what I would say is 
I think there are breweries that make exceptional beer that might be struggling. And I think there are breweries that make beer that I wouldn't queue up for mm. that are absolutely thriving. And so the secret to successful is is not just on on quality or uh, promotion or how good your sales people are. Yep. Um, but in terms of in terms of what we're able to do and what we've you know that you've observed as as being you know a brewery that's doing reasonably well, I think I think we just try and focus on the things that we've got control over. Right. Which. We don't spend too much time looking at what other people are doing necessarily. Mm. We're interested in doing the making the kind of beer that we want to make. Cliche of small breweries number one, <laughs> but also a very important one. And the reason it's a cliche is because it's worth it's worth having that philosophy. Um, we don't compromise on those sorts of things. The the, the beer is is first and foremost what mm. we're about, and then it also helps that we're passionate about it enough to try and you know attend as many beer festivals as we can in and out of the turning point context you know and uh, we we make ourselves busy with doing tap takeovers yep. meet the brewers um, we're all interested in beer in and out of work people that work here and the people you know Aaron and myself that started the business and so I think fundamentally that's a good place to start you care about the thing that you make and you care about that thing as a whole is a good is a good starting point, and then I guess we just care about it enough or so much so that we'll do anything we can to make sure that it's successful. Mm. And um, you know, if and I think when um, when we find some adversity or might, we might have a quiet month, we'll use that time to come up with the next thing that's going to be that, that'll you know do something positive for yeah. our the way that we present ourselves as a business. Um, and they don't always have to be things that are driven by making money, you know, like or or turning a generating a, a, a profit or whatever. Like for example, the posters up here in the, in the corner here. You have to use your imagination if if you're anyone other than Nick. Um, <laughs> this is the a poster for our York Stout Walkabout Imperial March, which basically we just st- save cask Imperial stouts or barrel aged stuff that we've made, sell them to one uh, to seven different pubs in York, and then have. Like a Love it. pub crawl where people drink seven different thirds or halves if you're feeling ridiculous. <laughs> um, that generally describes me when it comes to imperial but, stouts. But that's, that's the sort of thing that you do for the love of mm. the job or the craft of it. Yeah. It's absolutely never going to set the world on fire. Only a few hundred people can attend that. And we spend a dispropor- disproportionate amount of time making sure that that event is really good. Yep. Which is not a normal way to like try and generate a successful revenue stream or whatever but you know what I mean I think I think that sort of thing is what makes us fairly unique in that yeah we, we really put a lot of effort into the small things I think a lot of it comes down to what you've just described for particularly for small to medium sized businesses because if you think about and regular listeners to the podcast will know what's about to come here but but if you think about the music industry, like record labels now are obsessed with TikTok and Spotify. Yes. So, and it's all, I mean, it's always been about the numbers for record labels, but it's, it's rather than shifting records now, it's about streams and about the algorithm. 
So they do things to basically favour the algorithm. And I think if your attitude and approach to running a business is solely about money and score me loads of money and stuff, like, you know, God bless you. If that's your vibe, all the best to you. But there's more to life than money. No one is on their deathbed being like, you know, I just wish I'd have made another 10 grand. Like, you want to feel proud of what you've achieved and what you've done and the the friendships you've made. You know, and like you said, like the people that you've got to know come to your tap room. And like, I think about my brewing and when people contact me, not not, not about Hot Forward, that's, I mean, people do contact contact me through Hot Forward, and which is brilliant, you know, but like just, just on the beer side of it, when people contact me, and have a conversation, oh, I drank one of your beers the other day, or whatever, or whatever the conversation is, I'm like, I didn't know you until I started making beer. Like, li- yeah. literally, our paths wouldn't have crossed unless the liquid I made entered your glass and you drank it. And yet now it's like I've, I've extended my friendship group. And yeah. I, th- I yeah, it's, it's interesting that, and I, I think those, mindsets set people apart because people are doing what they want to do because they love it rather than because they can do it or they just want to make money out of it yeah yeah definitely and it's uh it's helpful when when uh when things are difficult to enjoy what you're doing and realize what you've got control over and that's that's i suppose without aaron and i ever really having that conversation too overtly that's what we've landed on is let's control the controllable variables mm. with everything that we've got, you know, and not try and fake it because, you know, there's nothing more authentic than just doing the thing that you want to do and doing and trying to do it well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I guess it's like, again, with the music thing, if you hear an artist that loves what they do and exploring their songwriting and their craft and experimenting, like that comes through so much more. Whether, you know, if you take an artist, we'll take someone like David Bowie, for example, like you might listen to some of it and be like, it's fucking brilliant. And some of it you might be like, what? <laughs> like, really? That, that album's shit. <laughs> but, you know, like kudos to, to, to him for, you know, his, his lifetime of music that he gave. And thanks for all the beer names that he's provided us oh, with. Well, there you go, exactly. <laughs> Um, you know, like, you, you just, there's somebody that loved their craft. And I think it shows, I think pe- people can just tell. Absolutely. And I, I would agree with that music-wise. It's so obvious when people are phoning it in, you know, and uh, generally find that it doesn't matter how successful the band is. Their, their better output is usually when they were a bit more scrappy or, yeah. like, when they were really fighting for it or they had the point to prove you can get too comfortable, can't you, I guess? Yeah. I, always, I often think about that. Like, if someone... And if, if you know anyone, please let me know. But, you know, if someone said, here you are, Cameron, here you are, Turning Point, here's um, two million pounds, could we fundamentally make a better version of this than exists? Or is it perfect how it is now? Because it's self-made, it's authentic, the kit's quite quirky, we've not got state-of-the-art anything, really. Mm. You know what I mean? We've... We've got good enough equipment to make really nice beer, but with all the money in the world, could we make it better? And I hope the answer to that question is no. I also hope we never find out. 
It's, you know, <laughs> that is such an interesting question. And I think anyone listening to this should, should ask themselves that. Because when is enough enough? My wife always says, to quote Cool Runnings, the 90s Disney film, like, if you're not enough without a gold medal, you'll never be enough with one. And I just think there's so much wisdom in that. Like, if, if you're always striving and always running to attain something more than what you've already got, then you'll never hit it. You might have a moment where, you, 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 you know, you get that two million and you're like, yes, we can now grow. But then you'll just have more problems with more zeros on the end. I, I believe that's correct, yeah. <laughs> I, I fundamentally believe that, you know. If, and that is a great film. Absolutely. Assy <laughs> <laughs> pride. Assy power. And he's speaking from experience as well, isn't he? He's, uh, mm. he's earned the gold... Well, no, he doesn't earn the gold medal, does he? Well, spoilers. No, in fact, it's a 1991 Disney film. If you've not seen it, then you deserve to have it spoiled for you. Yeah, absolutely. He cheats, doesn't he? So It's John Candy cheats, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, yes, that's... But he's saying it from the wisdom, having yeah. having tried to be a someone mm. and that became it all became about winning yeah and i think this is where we have to read and it's getting a little bit more philosophical now but this is where i have to redefine the terms of it, it, and obviously we're talking about business here but obviously supplies to life as well we have to redefine what the terms of winning looks like and we've been taught for so long through a capitalist society, and I'm not saying all of, of um, a capitalist system is, is bad because there are lots of good things about being able to generate wealth for yourself. It's not as black and white as, like, oh, capitalists and socialists and so on. The, you know, there are good things and bad things about both of those systems. But we've become so preconditioned to it either being about money, status and power that actually when... When did we sacrifice having a, an enjoyable life for the, the short span of years in the, you know, in the context of the billions of years Earth has been around for, for, for chasing after the wind? It's like a wild goose chase without a goose, but we're all so intent on, like, chasing after this imaginary goose. Mm. Um, yeah, that's about as philosophical as I'm going to get today <laughs> <laughs> i'll limit myself then in my response no 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 no, no you go for it please um, otherwise we'll end up talking about we'll we'll go to existential i think for the hop forward podcast but perhaps that's a separate episode for no another no time. it's fine get please, please go for it <laughs> that was well uh, separate to that i was going to say that we we try and focus our our growth to be more less volume and more quality consistency yeah. community you know and so and that, that to me is based on the principle that, you know, it's great if the phone rings and someone's like, oh, can I please order four pallets of cans? Great, good. It's nice, isn't it? It's mm. like, it's good to be, good to have that. And it, it certainly helps. Yep. But I think a more valuable currency in, in turning point land is when you're stood behind your bar at a beer festival and, and a home brewer or, or somebody comes up to you and will say, I've been trying to copy this beer of yours for three years and I can't do it. And, <laughs> uh, or, or I love it. Or this beer got me into this industry or whatever. Mm. And we do get that. And it's, it's an amazing thing. That is the currency that makes it worthwhile. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, how you do anything is how you do everything. And if, if your attitude is like you, everything you've been describing, then that will permeate throughout the culture you set in your business 
and the culture you set in your business will then determine what the output is like of the the service you offer to uh, to customers or clients, the the quality of the products you do, whether people want to work for you as a business owner, whether they like the culture, whether they like coming into work. Because if people don't like coming into work, because you've not set the culture up so that it's an enjoyable place to come in. And, and when you wake up in the morning, you're like, at worst, oh, my it's rain, I've got to go to work. But hey, I like my job, so, you know. But, but, at, but at best, you wake up and you're like, oh, you know, really, I don't think of this as work. Because yeah. I like what I do, you know, I've got some meaning and purpose to it. If someone's waking up and thinking, fuck, Ugh, like how am I gonna get out of this? Then there's something wrong, something mm. fundamentally wrong. And as the business owner, I mean, it doesn't all come down to the business owner. Sometimes people are just predispositioned for whatever reason, for their own personal reasons to, to be where they're at. But as a business owner, you've got to do everything you can to make sure that culture is, is just so that people want to come in. And if they don't, you can support them and say, look, okay, maybe not enjoying that much. What can we do to help? And if they're still not feeling helps or mm. want to be helped, it's like, you know, let's, let's try and find you something that you do want to do. And let's help you transition into that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's something we take really seriously. It's like, we want people to enjoy it and be a part of it and be a, you know, we're, we're a, a sub 10 team here making mm. quite a lot of beer. But there's, there's room for everyone to have creative input as well as doing the things that they do yep. technically or, you know, like that's, they spend 40 hours a week on. Mm. Um, the best case scenario is that the people that work for you, you can trust them to sort of do it in a way that suits them, that you can trust them to do it in their own way and that matches their requirements for a good work-life balance. Yep. It's not an easy thing to do, but it's something to strive for, isn't it? Um, it was also something I was really, really obsessed with when the business was still just Aaron and myself, which I said to him, I was like, we're about to take on our full, first full-time employee. Do you realise what that means? We're about to, it, we're about to introduce endless chaos into interpersonal relationships. I was like, at the minute, there's just one. It's you and it's me. <laughs> there's one relationship. And now there are three between the three of us. And then every other person you add, you add. And but by the time you get to five people, you're at... Um, uh, chaos theory <laughs> yeah. of, of how many interpersonal <laughs> relationships there are and I, I, I think it came from this really uh, obnoxious business podcast that I used to listen to it's not yours it's a, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really intrigued now what my podcast uh, is uh, I, I don't think I can actually remember but um, the, the guy said something to the extent of what if you know in, in, ter in terms of businesses chasing growth um, he said, what if, your business, what if you're like one expansion or one employee away from not enjoying it anymore? What if how it is now is exactly how it should be? And I, I worry about that so much. And I, I think I might be done worrying about it now. But over the years, mm. you know, when you move in the brewery site or, or making it so that we're making more of this particular beer than another beer or, you know, just things changing maybe i enjoyed it more last year maybe i'll enjoy it more next year yeah maybe it's perfect maybe we don't mess with it those are impossible questions to answer and it's probably not worth overthinking but i will continue to do it indefinitely <laughs> what, what i mean talk about taking on your first employee 
Like, what, what was that like, and what was it like for them? Are they still here, or are they moved on? Or uh, No longer with us. Right. But, um, left, not yeah, yeah. the other one. <laughs> <laughs> um, we really are getting existential now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, it's a, it's, a, it's a big thing. I mean, for me, the big, the big one there was um, learning to share your toys. You know, in, and in terms of Aaron and I putting so many hours into this place that we were, we were begging for help, mm. but also there's an element of, but this is everything. This is, this is all we've got in the universe is, is this brewery that we've created. Are you going to be able to do it as well? Oh, you, that sort of thing, like relinquishing control. And I, I think now we're, it's a completely different business than, than the one that started because the majority of the work is done by people that aren't Aaron and myself, which yep. is, uh, is really unique. And, you know, mm. it's more about sort of managing the dynamic of that and, and steering the ship than it is about... Um, wrapping pallets while you're trying to dig out the mash tub. Yep. And uh, it, that was chaos, and I kind of loved it, but mm. it's unsustainable. So, uh, so how do you guys keep it fresh after all this time? Um, I think it sort of keeps itself fresh, to be honest. Um, we, we, never, we never stand still. You know, like, like I was saying before, if we've got like a quiet moment or, or if, we, if, if we sense that there's a sort of downward trend of sales or whatever... We'll dig deep and we'll try and come up with something new, you know, and uh, and do something that'll excite people that drink our beer or mm. introduce us to more people. Or I, th I think we sort of just manage it week on week without any real focus on like here's what we want to do in twelve months' time. Yeah, you know? that keeps it fresh because you know every week's different. Yeah. So does, does one of you come in with a mad idea, like, oh, I had this idea last night, and then, like, how, how does that dynamic work? It's like, oh, I'm not sure about that idea, like, between the two of you. Uh, yeah, I, th I, think it, I think so, yeah, probably, probably less so than it, than it used to be. Um, but, yeah, no, we, everyone, everyone inputs on, on beers, on branding. Mm. Um, yeah, so it's good. It's, I think we've got a really good, really good setup, yeah, staff-wise and team-wise. What would you say is the most challenging thing about running a brewery like this? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the weather at the minute. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> being particularly geesh. Well, I, I, I think uh, the strength might also be the weakness, so or, or, or vice versa. The weakness might be might be a strength, which is you, we're a small enough business that that we can be affected quite quickly by big changes or the price of CO2 or, you know, those, those sorts of things mm. that can blindside you a little bit. But also a benefit of that is that we're really nimble. And so when lockdown started, for example, we were able to redefine our roles really quickly and reshift our focus to be exclusively retail in about six hours. Yeah, You know, we're, there's, there's no meeting about the meeting that yep. needs to happen. We're just ready. And so... Uh, I, I'd say, yes, you know, as a smaller business, you're more likely to be affected by those big societal changes that you've not got much control over. Mm. But also you're, you're a better place to deal with it if you're switched on. Yeah. So did you have a web shop before we COVID? Did. Yeah. Did. It, right. it didn't do an awful lot of, of business for us mm. beforehand, but it was enough that, you know, we had it, had it there and we were very grateful for it at the yep. time. And what, and what about now? Because obviously during COVID, 
sales went up for everyone on web shops because <laughs> it was the only way to sell beer. But like, how, how is that now? Is it, have you found it's it's sustained or it's dropped dramatically? Well, it's, it's definitely, definitely less than uh, lockdown. Yeah. But definitely more than it was before lockdown. Mm. And um, one of the main things from that was our subscription model for our, you know, for, for retail, mm. which is which was uh, we've kept a lot of the members that we that started with us in lockdown, and that's another thing we put we put a lot of effort into making that a good, you know, disproportionately good value experience for people. So yeah, you get your six beers for twenty quid, but on top of that, you'll maybe get an invite to the brewery or a free pint at our pub or mm. that sort of thing. And we, you know, we try and make those sorts of things. Um, protect your community first and foremost and uh, hopefully they'll stick with you yeah so you, you, you've alluded to on a couple of occasions about the subscription box I'm quite interested actually I'm not trying to push it back no oh, well I mean we can, <laughs> well, we can go to that towards the end and uh, but I think there's a saying I don't know if you'll have heard it it might be a genuine saying I might have made it up who knows but it's like, I, I heard it when I started at Sheffield Brewery, which seems like a lifetime ago now, which was, um, you only become a good brewer when you can consistently make the same beer again and again and again. Now, obviously, obviously with a beer like Disco King, you do. And that's, I mean, it's a great beer. Um, and obviously, I would imagine over the years, you refined it, you've honed that craft. But when it comes to making like one-offs, like, how do you keep the consistency there, particularly if you're doing, like, a subscription box, so that when somebody subscribes and they're getting those new beers every time, they know that, yeah, they might enjoy some more than others, but they're not going to be like, oh, gosh, that one's not very good. It's unbalanced, whatever, but that one's great. And, and because when, you know, when you're making lots of different beer styles and stuff, it's, it, 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 it is actually quite hard to, to pull them all off really well. It is, yeah. I mean, I think we've got a good base in in most styles where, you know, we wouldn't be starting from scratch. Yeah. If we were like, oh, well, you know, for example, I was explaining to you before, we're canning a brand new pale ale today. We've not used those hops in that combination before, but we have brewed beers that are fairly similar to it. And I think, I think we've got enough of a fundamental understanding about our process and some, you know, several hundred different beers in or whatever we are these days. Mm. We, we know that it's not a full, full on gamble. We know that it'll be different enough from the last beer yep. that it's worth doing and calling it something completely different, you know? And uh, I enjoy that process uh, of, of constant iteration rather yep. than um, Alan Partridge, as he says, uh, evolution, not revolution. <laughs> no, it's the other way around. <laughs> yeah. Which is, what you're saying is, you don't want another Chris Evans on your hand. He's like, no, that's exactly what we want. <laughs> uh, yes, sorry to just thrust that a bit of Alan Partridge no, in there. Do, but I think do. it was relevant. If anyone's heard that before, they'll know what I mean. But um, but yeah, so I think... We we enjoyed the the chance to refresh our beer lineup, as it were. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think if you look at our website, it's usually a a good snapshot of where we are right now. Yeah, and it'll be different come January or mm. April next year. And you know, it's constantly evolving. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so interesting. Again, looking at across the scope of the industry, and I, I'm talking UK here. I I don't know what it's like elsewhere. Obviously, in places like America. You know, it's, there are lots of similarities, ever rotating beers, et cetera, et cetera. 
but it, it it's so interesting when you think about brewers have a lot to contend with to to make a lot of different beer styles and to do it well you know like absolutely if you think of the um is it the bjcp or i've got that acronym right the bcjp the one of the like official judging things i know the one that you mean but i don't, I don't yeah, know it well enough I was to be able to help you out I'd, I'd, I'd have that acronym nailed down but i'm not um but it's something I feel like I should do at some point, but we'll part that there. But like whatever that official judging thing is and whatever the acronym is, like there are so many variations just on IPA alone. And so to get that consistently right is a, is a huge challenge to a brewer. And particularly yeah. when these days as well, like a lot of the target audience for quote unquote craft beer drinkers are quite unforgiving because there are so many breweries out there, so much choice, and they might drink a beer, and it's like, if it, if it doesn't tick tick the box, whatever the box is, then they'll be quite dismissive, and they won't give that brewery another chance, which is unfortunate, because some of the other beers they make might be spot on. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And that, I'd say you've, you've hit on something, again, that we, we hold pretty, pretty close to ourselves, which is, doesn't really matter what the outliers think mm. it matters as long as we've tried the beer before it leaves and we're happy with it then we're prepared then for the good and the bad yep and we don't hear either side of that too loudly we're like well we're proud of it that's that's where we are yeah you know but that that's been quite a gradual thing for me mm. um when we'd i think maybe in our first year i had one untapped review that bothered me so much I, had, I printed it out and put it on my desk so that I could look at it every day. And it, the beer, the, <laughs> the description, and it was not a boring beer, it was a collab with Mad Hatter and it had all sorts of fruit and stuff in there. I can imagine. <laughs> and um, the, the review was, it's boring me to tears drinking it. And I took it so personally because it, it doesn't really criticise the beer like fundamentally. But it's about expectations being met or otherwise. And I was like, well, if that, if that beer doesn't hit the mark, maybe there's some inspiration to take there, which is stop listening to other people about it. If we're happy with it, then stick with that. Yeah. Do you know, I, I look back on my journey. So it's going back to 2018. I was at Sheffield Brewery Company um, as the head brewer, brewery manager, just about everything else you can imagine and had Emmanuel's, which was and is my own brand, which was kind of snowballed into that. And I was looking at, it was a start of like 2018, I was thinking, I need to get out of this arrangement. I need to go set up by myself. And one of the, and I regret this massively now, one of the things that, that stopped me was Untapped. Mm. Because I had some good reviews on Untapped, but then, as you just said, some people, don't like your beers and they'll say all kinds of mean things and like I like to think I'm not a bad brewer you know like I I, I think I'm a good brewer um, if anyone's listening to this and they try my beer and think it's shit correct me feel free but I, I I think I make good beer and but some of those reviews just again it's it's like 
um, negativity has a, a power of 10 to 1 over positivity. So you might get 10 really banging reviews and then you get one, one review about boring you to tears or, you know, this wouldn't scrape I'm not, your enamel I'm not off. bitter about it. I'm not still thinking about it <laughs> six years later. Well, I, I got one for, it was um, the last beer I made under Emmanuel's at Sheffield Brewery called The Last Supper. It was supposed to be a double IPA. And in tank, it was a double IPA, but it got oxidised somewhere between that and bottling. And it ended up tasting more like a hoppy barley wine because of the oxidation. Yeah. Now, if it had called it a hoppy barley wine, it would have been fine for the most part unless you got the kind of dregs of the bottling run, which this one person did. So they got this dipper, which wasn't a dipper, and they got the dregs. And the review said, this would clean the enamel off my toilet. It's that bad. That is mean. That wasn't the review that finished me off. I'd, I'd kind of got to that point before then. But some some reviews, I looked at it, I was just like, I don't need to come... Like, I'm not getting fours like that Cloudwater Brewery. <laughs> um, on untaps, you know, maybe my beer shit. And it put, it casts so much self-doubt that it, it, today I'm still reaping the, 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 the fruit, so to speak of that decision in that, yeah, Emmanuel's exists, it's in my cellar, I still sell it commercially on a very small scale, but that's still, I still want to set up a brewery somewhere with a little tap room, and it doesn't have to be massive, the next beaver town or whatever, but it, it just needs to do what it does. And when you listen to other people, and yeah, it's good to take on feedback, definitely, absolutely take on feedback and learn from it, but it's funny how those little comments, because they're often they're not, constructive either they can just really sow so much doubt into you i think so also i think one's own reaction to a review um especially on the negative side can tell you how you really feel mm -hmm. about your own beer and that sometimes can be an uncomfortable experience you know it's like if you've ever had uh, an inkling of doubt about does it taste enough like the thing that we've advertised it as tasting of is, did we put enough fruit in there? Did we put enough vanilla in to put vanilla in the title of the beer? Those sorts of things. And then when you, you know, if, if you're 96% sure, the first review that you see that says, can't taste the vanilla, can really, it's not about the review, it's about it's making you remember the thing that you thought yourself, which is, yeah. It, and then, you know, but it, but if, if, if um, you get that same review and you think that it really tastes of vanilla or mango or whatever, then the bad review doesn't really matter because mm. it only strengthens your resolve to be like supportive of the product that you've made. Yeah, it's so subjective as well. All that, it, you know, the, uh, untapped and people reviewing. And as we said earlier before we hit record, like ninety nine percent of people will never review anything. They'll drink your beer and they'll enjoy it, and they'll be too caught up in their own life and their own shit to ever even bother to go on to an app like Untapped. They probably don't even know what Untapped is, you know. Just they're busy living their life, drinking their beer, watching TV or down the pub with their mates to think, oh, I need to go, I need to go on Twitter and write about this. Absolutely. But, it, but it's, I guess that's the danger when you work in the industry. And I would caution anyone listen to this and again, probably preach to myself more than anyone, but like, it, it could be such an echo chamber. Mm, massively. When actually the thing you need to focus on, which is what I've, I, I think the thing I'd take away from this conversation today is that you just need to focus on what you're good at and doing what you're doing. Like, don't mind them over there making the dippers or them making the barrel aged whatevers, you know, and getting a million on untapped 
like just do what you do and do it to the best of your ability. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also say that, you know, who who's doing well or whatever, or who's got the attention of the the beer geeks is is uh, is something that happens largely on the internet and less so in real life. You know, you, you got you go to the beer festivals or just spending time in the pub, and people are having so many more beer experiences offline that we never hear or see. You know, mm. that's why I enjoy going to those sorts of things. Like, you know, like someone might say, I've been drinking your beer, Disco King, as my main pint of beer, like twice a week for the last two years or something. And I didn't know about that. That's I love that. You know what I mean? Just because someone didn't tweet it doesn't doesn't mean that it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, that's like a tree <laughs> fall in the woods. If a tree falls in the woods and there's no one around to hear it, did it happen? Yeah, <laughs> what exactly. noise does it make? And, yeah, no, I'm I'm interested in in the in meeting the people rather than seeing the like the sort of anonymous online stuff. Yeah. and I must say that, in so, especially on Untapped, it, I, it it used to really. You know, I'd be almost nervous to to open the app and have a look, and it's early enough that we haven't really had any confirmation that what we're doing has any credibility, validity, or quality. You know, Mm. like as I'm still really insecure about it, but six six odd years later, like it, it, I can't explain what a fundamental shift that is. It does just completely doesn't hit, doesn't register, and that applies to the good and the bad. I think if you're going to accept the praise, you've got to also accept the criticism. But yep. to me, the thing that matters the most is when we sit down as a team at the end of the month, try all the beers that we've made. And that that's the feedback that I'm interested in. Yeah. You know, what we're doing here. Just before we change tack and round up, while we're having this untapped conversation, I, I guess thinking about selling then, to bars and bottle shops and pubs, etc. Like untapped seems to be one of the metrics that people behind the bar or that run the bottle shops use to determine whether a brewery and their beers are any good. How does that whole dynamic work? Because in light of everything we've just said, those people are who generally run places that are pretty knowledgeable about beer and they'll have tried a lot of beers and they'll have what they deem to be a standard but then somebody might listen to this like who runs a brewery um whether it's a similar size to this or bigger or smaller whatever they might feel like they're struggling to get a foot in the door with such and such a venue or pushing to a new region or area because Things like untapped reviews are, uh, are stopping the the get they're like gatekeepers. I think people that run pubs and bars and bottle shops like and you you've got to work really hard to win them over. Like from a sales perspective, as the business owner, like how do you approach all that and that dynamic? Um, I think I think to be honest, we've 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 done that organically enough that, and, and I can't I can't speak for the sales guys here. They spend so much more time on this than I well right. all of their time on this. But mm. but to my, to my knowledge, we. We start with customers that have supported us, and it's sort of grown fairly organically. We don't we don't do any cold calling really or anything like that. And and yeah, just to, just to finish on the untapped thing, like I think that for for us that's noticeably reduced that that impetus on I only buy beers for my pub that are a four and above. <laughs> that we always found that that was more of an export thing. Right you know, when when sort of customers are buying a pallet of your beer fairly blind, they'd probably if there is a metric. 
you'd do well to at least check, wouldn't you? You know, if there's if there's some feedback somewhere, yep. Trust pilot, trip advisor, whatever it is, we're all we're all not guilty. The wrong word. We're all looking looking for that data in some context in our lives. Why should beer be any different? The only problem is, Untapped is like the wild west of. Uh, <laughs> Of anyone, anyone can say anything, and there's, there isn't really like a criteria for what makes the score, for example. Mm. And uh, yeah, but in terms in terms of that affecting getting into the bars, I think I think reputation and, and quality are perceived in other ways other than just that. And so I'd say that would probably be more of a, a thing that we'd focus on. Yeah, you know, is is, uh, is is attending festivals in a certain area, and that's where you meet the people that run the bars. They can try your beer. Um, you know, and then leave with a good impression of what the brewery's about. Mm. Two questions to end, and I'll, I'll save the biggest one for last. But where do you see the brewery and hospitality industry heading over the next year? Well, um, I guess we were sort of talking about this briefly earlier, right? Where it seems it seems quite negative, you know, from from the inside looking outward in terms of optimism for, mm. for for the industry growing um there are fewer breweries starting and a lot more closing though i think that that in itself seems to have slowed down a little yeah, bit yeah yeah though I, I i think there's a lot to be excited about in the, in the beer industry we've never been in a better time for consumers or people that enjoy a beer to to choose what they want and be definitely be able to get it yep. it's brilliant what a thing and there have never been as many good places to drink those beers. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think a lot of it comes down to economics and general sort of, you know, top-down government policy, uh, sentiment, inflation. You know, those those sorts of things have got more of a more of a hold on what we're all doing here than we'd probably like there to be. But in terms of ourselves, we stick with what we know, which is focus on the things that we can control. Our beer our team our output into the world and that's that's as good as we can do really and um, and observe the world as it changes and hopefully not let it affect us too much and i think we've been pretty good at that in in the face of all of these things so so to come back to answer that question i would say well let's hope that optimism leads somewhere for, yeah. every, for everybody in the industry you know let's uh, let's hope that the work that everyone's putting in is will mean something because well it's not it's not worth nothing now is it you know what i mean like, mm. but in terms of the glory days of uh, of the industry let's let's just let's just hope for a a, a less eventful year perhaps <laughs> you reckon <laughs> yeah <laughs> like like i think yeah le- less intervention from uh, the news would be better, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, that's oh, the the news cycle is a, a a blight on society. I mean, it's obviously it's important to know what's happening, particularly when you got stuff in the Middle East kicking off, and you're like, is this the end of the world? <laughs> um, you know. It, but on the other hand, everything, at least here in the UK and in other parts of the world, are pretty stable and going forwards and as as normal, and and it's. Like you said, it, it was easier to look at the start of the year or back in Alaska and think, oh, my word, like, this, if, let's calculate this. There are seven breweries closing every week and there are 52 weeks in the year, and that's a lot of breweries closing. My mass is terrible, so I'm not going to work that out now. You know, 
like every brewery under the sun is going to have closed unless it's one of the big six and that's it. It's macro beer from here on in. And it's, well, not really. And, and I think as we've been talking about web shops, for example, like, you know, what, what, what a win for breweries. And I know bottle shops might say, well, actually, it's not been as good for us. But bottle shops will still have their place because they sell a variety of beers and breweries can only offer that with their own brands. But what a win for breweries in that up until that point, there was a bit of a taboo almost about selling your own beer because you might step on someone's toes in it a bottle was, shop they, and yeah. so on. Yeah. Whereas like it's like that COVID and, and having to, being forced to do that in a sink or swim fashion, knock that down so you can offer a variety of beers for people that just want to buy turning point beers and people can come to you for those if they want or they can go to the local bottle shop if they want to buy a couple of your beers and a couple of other beers it's mm. like it there are good things to to, to glean from these things but I, th I guess we have to look for them because they're not I think so. they're not served there <laughs> definitely not served there by by default i'm glad that you share my optimism in that yeah well it's, <laughs> I, yeah i'm tr i'm trying but these things come in cycles as well, don't they? Like, bad stuff happens in a cycle, and then there's a bit where people reflect on that, and then it happens again somewhere. You know, like, it. yeah, it's just the world, isn't it? Well, I so, think may, may, maybe it's like every 30 years or something. You think about, like, obviously you had, you had World War II, terrible, and then by the time you got to the 60s, it was like the spring of the 60s, baby, yeah. Um, and then the 70s, 70s and 80s were pretty shit, really. And then the 90s came along. So let's hope that would do another, like, you know... Another 90s. Another 90s. You know, <laughs> think of the music, the government... <laughs> well, OK, I'll stop there. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, well, it, it's been great to have you on the podcast. Um, just before I ask the, the biggest question I think I've ever asked a guest on the show, just tell us a little bit about how people can get hold of your beers and, and find out more about Turning Point. Of course, yeah. So you can, um, you can buy our beer... In pubs, um, generally, if you live in the North Yorkshire area, just uh, just give us a Google. You'll find out where to drink our beer. Um, if you're a little further away, or if you want to drink beer in Yorkshire in your house, you can order it from turningpointbrewco.com. Um, we've got some really interesting stuff on there at the minute, a couple of Christmassy specials and mini kegs and gift packs and that sort of thing. We also, as I mentioned too, but definitely wasn't trying to plug, our subscription is uh, £20 a month. And it's just about the best way to consistently get hold of our beer and make sure that you don't miss out on any of the new things that we do. Happy days. I'm pretty nervous about this big question. The biggest question. I've never asked a guest this before. Yes, I will join your band. Oh, well, I'm glad you said that because there's a didgeridoo in that corner. <laughs> and I wondered if you could play us out. <laughs> I, I hope that this goes terribly. <laughs> That's perfect. One more time, one more time. Brilliant. <laughs> well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers. <laughs>